0: Thank you for listening to the New Life Church Podcast. If you need any information about our church, or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at newlifekingman.com. Well, tonight uh, we are finishing up um, our series. This is the last class in the uh, series, uh, What's More Important Than the Altar? And so tonight, I just want to take a moment, just just really quick, and I want to look at the text that we began with just to kind of set the platform, if you will. And we started off in Matthew 5:21 through 24, reading out of the New Living Translation. And it says, You have heard that the law of Moses says, do not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say to you, if you are angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the high council and if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. So if you're standing before the altar in the temple offering a sacrifice to God and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there beside the altar, go and be reconciled to that person, then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Now, uh, this evening, the reason that we started with this and the reason that, that I felt like this would be an appropriate study for us is because of the fact that we really are, as a church, contending for a move of God. We are believing God for Him to do things, to save people, to deliver people. Our theme of this year is Reach, Restore, Release. We're looking to reach a city We're looking to bring restoration to those that are broken and damaged, and we're looking to release them into their destiny, whatever that may be, whatever God has for them. Well, if we're going to accomplish that, then there are things that we have to deal with that can thwart that plan. And one of those things that can thwart that plan, that can mess that up, is our relationship with one another. And what we find out is relationship is at the heart of the gospel, how we function in relationship with God first and how we function in relationship with each other. And it is paramount. Our relationship with God and each other is paramount in our walk with Christ. So far as to say it is so important that when Jesus was questioned, what is the most important law, what is the first commandment. And he said this, he said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your body, everything in you. And he says, and the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. So again, in that context, we are seeing that relationship with one another and relationship with God are at the pinnacle of all that we do. In fact, Jesus went so far to say is that if you do that, if you love God with all your heart and you love your neighbor as yourself, you have fulfilled the law. You've done everything. And he went even a step further. He says this. He says, all of the law and the prophets hang on those two verses, those two commandments. And so what we find out is this is extremely important to God. So when we take that into a modern day context, we begin to understand that relationship is at the heart of evangelism. Relationship is at the heart of discipleship. Relationship is at the heart of growth and maturity. Relationship is at the heart of marriage and parenting, integrity, building a church. All are done in the context of relationship, how we relate to one another. And we found out in our first class, we found out that we absolutely need to walk in forgiveness. This is something that I think probably is at least in the top three of the struggles of Christians, is learning to walk in forgiveness. Because I think there's a lot of reasons for that, but one of them is is because we have a very distorted view of what forgiveness is. We misunderstand this dynamic of what Jesus teaches us of what forgiveness is all about. Forgiveness at the heart of it is about release. It's about letting go see the thing is is we hang on to things that literally are damaging our life they're wounding us it's kind of like it's kind of like this unforgiveness is like hanging on to something that's radioactive you won't know that you're hanging on to something that's radioactive until you begin to feel the effects of radioactive sickness or you know uh, what what do they call it Radi- uh, i don't radiation sickness so you won't even begin to realize until it's almost too late. Because there is something invisible that you cannot see with the naked eye transpiring between you and what you're hanging on to. And so Jesus comes along and he says this, let go of that. He, but he says it in terms of forgiveness. He says, forgive. So what he's saying is let go of that radioactive thing because it's killing you. Let go of it. Don't hang on to it. Get as far as you can from it. Because it has something in built into it that will destroy your life. And so we saw the importance of forgiveness. And last week what we found out is that we overcome offense. We talked about forgiveness and then last week we talked a little bit about uh, the spirit of offense and how often people are offended. It blows my mind at how often Christians are offended. They're offended at each other. It just, it it amazes me how often that is. Well, I understand. Jesus even understood. He said this, it's impossible that no offenses should come. In other words, Jesus understood that when more than one person gets in a room for any length of time, somebody's going to get offended because we're different. We see things differently. We hear things differently. We perceive things differently, on and on and on. We have different tastes, different likes, different dislikes. And the problem is, is we have a tendency to want to defend our position. Okay, so there's a great story. It's a mythical story, but it's, it's, it's a story that surrounds King Arthur and his court. Do You remember that? King Arthur is kind of a mythical uh, uh, legend in England. He, they don't know if he really existed. Well, there's a lot of historians now that saying maybe he did, but who knows. But as f- far as our doing tonight, he's a mythical guy. And so King Arthur had knights. Well, one day, a couple of his knights were riding, and one was riding east, and one was riding west. And the two knights came to a place in the road where a magical coin hung seemingly just by itself, right in the middle of the road. Both knights got off their horses and begin to look at that coin. And the first knight says, man, what a beautiful silver coin. And the other knight says, no, no, what a beautiful gold coin. And they begin to talk, and then they begin to argue. It's silver, it's gold, it's silver, it's gold. They drew their swords and began to fight, and both of them inflicted dead, deadly wounds on each other and died. A peasant came by and noticed that the coin on one side was silver and on the other side was gold. They were both right. And I can tell you as a pastor that that scenario is not mythical. It happens every day in churches. The truth of the word of God is so big that no one person has a solitary perspective of it. But we will fight and be offended over what we see or what we don't see or better yet, what somebody's saying to us. And we will do it oftentimes with little to no investigation rather than just loving our brother and saying, well, with all due respect, we're just going to have to agree to disagree and maybe God will both show us. And in time, you know what he does? He does show us. And so we overcome that spirit of offense by love, by walking in love. Because what love does is love says, I value my relationship with you more than my desire to be right. So I'm willing to sacrifice myself so that you can still be in my life. I don't need to be right here. I'll back off. I'll trust God just shows you the truth. Or I trust God shows me the truth. But I value you. So tonight, we're going to take that thought and develop even further, and we're going to finish this series by looking at honor in the church. Now I've said this a lot before, there's nothing I hope for more in this church than that all heaven would be poured out upon us. Our goal, our prayer has been that God would pour out salvation in this place, that he would pour out healing. We are believing God for four types of healing, physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual healing. We believe God has poured out that upon this place. We are believing that the spirit of salvation would go through this city and save people by the hundreds and if not thousands. We're looking for deliverance. We're believing God that people will be delivered from drug addiction, alcoholism, uh, immoral behavior, and, and, and uh, lawlessness, and on and on and on. The wounds that, that uh, have been so deep into them. We're looking for people to be delivered and set free. I long to see the glory of the Father fall in this place, that we come into this place, and that I, I'm looking forward to the days of when we can't even minister, God says, just sit down, I'm going to take over today. That's the kind of service I like. Just say, hey, you, you know, you're, you're all right, it's, your sermon's kind of cute, but I'm going to take over here, and I'm going to do something. That's what I'm looking for that he would move in extraordinary ways i'm hungry for his presence his power and his peace to fill this house and some you may some be here and you say well why why do you want that because i want to see people all kinds of people receive grace find hope and experience transformation that's what i want and it is our father who has called us to be that that's The calling he has put on us. This church is a church where God is changing lives. That's what we are. It is an anointing that has been placed on us, and it was placed on us long before any of us were a part of it. But for us to become totally effective in this calling, in this anointing, we are first going to have to be a people of grace we have to cultivate the atmosphere and culture of grace in this house. This church must be a place of grace. The question is how? How do we do that? Well, I'm going to give you, I I know that right now I'm kind of speaking a little bit in platitudes, and I don't mean to do that, but I want you to hear, I, I, I want you, I'm, I'm trying to, I really, this, this message is summing up a lot of information. And so without going just a long, drawn out way, I want you to hear some things. And so as I put this together, I really begin to think, so how do we do this? Well, we have to stand on the word of God without reservation. Okay? We must share the gospel without hesitation. And we must learn to love without limitation. We must be a family where the love of God flows not only between us and God, but each other. Can you say amen? Because the world is watching. The world is watching. God said through the Apostle John, he said in 1 John 4, 12, he says, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. Now, this is an interesting scripture because what God is saying is even though no one has seen God, people may get a glimpse of him and know that he is real because of the love that is flowing between us between those that claim they love Jesus as their Lord. Now, let me say something. I'm going to pick on a little bit of human nature here. I don't believe this goes on here, but we've seen it in other churches. This dynamic that exists in Christianity that is fueled by religion that becomes very condemning has got to go. Okay, I could tell you this. There'll be a day when God will be judged, But that is not this day. This day is the day where God is your Savior. He is not judging the world. He sent His Son into the world so that the world could be saved, not judged. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And so I understand there'll be a day of judgment and I understand we will be held accountable and if our name's written in the Lamb's book of life and then if we make heaven home, if we are saved and we do that and we have the Lamb's book of life in our life, if we are written in that and we go to heaven, there'll be a day when we will be, uh, our works will be tested by fire. All of those things are real and true but right now what this day is about is about coming to know God. And what the church does is the church stands up for what they're against, not what they're for. And so they spend so much time in what I call fear based gospel. What that means is they are afraid to let people have freedom. You are free. Paul wrote, he goes, you know what, you're free. He goes, all things are lawful, but he says, but don't forget, all things do not edify. He says, just because you can doesn't mean you should. And so you and I, because we have the nature of God and the mind of God invested in us and because we have the identity as being children of God we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus we no longer are striving to a goal of righteousness we are living from the platform of that righteousness i am a, see grace does not overlook sin it empowers righteousness are you hearing what i'm saying Grace doesn't come along and go, hey, you know what, it's okay. It's okay that you're really messing up. That's not what grace does. What grace does is says, I'm going to empower you to overcome that. You're not a bad guy. It's amazing how many times from pulpits we hear things that you're horrible, you're wretched, you're a bunch of sinners. I'm going to tell you, you're not a bunch of sinners. That's not what God calls you. And I can give you Scripture what god calls you is my children he called he says you're the his body for heaven's sake you are spiritually seated with him in heavenly places in the spirit you occupy two places in time and space sinners can't do that when you got saved the bible says in romans chapter 6 that when you got saved you were baptized into the death of christ what that, what's that mean? That means that old nature died. And he says now because that old nature is dead, you need to reckon or consider or evaluate yourself as being dead to sin. And then what you do is you don't lend your members as instruments of unrighteousness but you submit yourself to God as a as an instrument of righteousness so now for the first time in your life you have a choice of how you live You can live by this new identity as a child of God, as the bride of Christ, as the body of Christ, as the church of the Most High, as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, having the great and precious promises and the nature of God, the mind of Christ. You can uh, can operate in that identity. Or you could go, woe is me. I'm horrible and wretched and I'm still a sinner because I make mistakes. I choose this one. I'm not denying the fact that sometimes I get goofy and I make mistakes. That's why the Holy Spirit comes along quickly and says, hey, John, pay attention. Amen. And I go, Lord, I'm sorry. And he says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, he says, if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. If we could go to him and we can say, I sinned. I can confess my sin before him. That word confess literally means I can acknowledge my sin. I've sinned. I've blown it. And he says, and I'm faithful and just to forgive you of that sin. That sin no longer identifies me. It's something that's in my past. What identifies me is what Jesus did on the cross. Yes, okay, I'm off my soapbox. That. that was a whole nother study right there. Hang on, let me get back to where this one. See, church, we may end up drawing sinners in this place. And we may draw them in with all kinds of activities, but we will never see them transformed without a demonstration of His love that flows between us and them and us in Him. So, let's look at our text, Romans chapter 12, verse 10, just one verse. We looked at this in, a, in the context last week, but this, we're just going to look at this one verse. New King James verse, it says, Be kind, kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another. In the New Living Translation, it says this, Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. I love the way it says it in the New Living Translation. I love the fact that he says, Take delight, you delight in honoring and loving. One man put it this way. He says, "Honor is a virtue that is almost extinct in the 21st century, yet it still holds the power to move us. In, in movies, in, in movies, a display of honor can cause us to." Sc- To cry. In fact, some of the greatest movies, the most memorable, are movies that had the virtue of honor interwoven all through them. We love the idea of honor, but where is honor in our everyday lives? Outside of movies, honor has become foreign to us. Yet honor along with faith, is a key essential to receiving from God. And for this very reason, the enemy of our souls has all but eliminated the true power of honor. Honor carries with it great rewards. Rewards God wants you to have. Honor has the power to radically and supernaturally change your life. Honor is such an incredibly important thing. In church, it's something we've lost. Our world needs to get back to honoring. And as Christians, we desperately need to understand the power and the grace of honor. If we truly want a genuine move of God, then we need to create that culture of honor here. Now listen to me, I, 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 I'll be, once again, as I regularly do, I'll be a little vulnerable. I struggle with this. I struggle. There's times when I am not very honoring or honorable, okay? There's times when, like I say, I, I get in my head, I, I get thinking beyond my The realm that I should, and I take things on, and I do this, and I do that, and I get into myself, and I get a little selfish, and I get a little bit insecure, or whatever, and I don't do a real good job. But just because I don't always do a good job, or because this is not perfected, does not mean that we should ignore it. In fact, what it means is that we should pay attention to it and embrace it so that we can become it. Are you hearing what I'm saying? See, it's easy tonight to honor people who act the same as you or to think the same or ultimately believe the same as you. But what happens when somebody believes something you don't? What happens when somebody acts a little different than you do? What happens when somebody doesn't think the same as you? I'm telling you, you, you the the, the uh, I've been a pastor a long time but being a senior pastor the last decade has taught me more than all the years. And that's because it is amazing to me how much this has gone by the wayside. See We want people to be, we want them to be who they're supposed to be. This was one of the things, here's one of the things, it's interesting. One of the things that was told to me on a regular basis when I took over the church after Pastor Pennington passed, people told me on a regular basis, John, you just got to be you. Just be you. Just be you. Just be you. Until I was me. Then they didn't like it. Oh, no, I didn't mean be you. Be you. I mean, be the version of you I want you to be. That's what I really mean. So what happens? Think about it for a moment. Ask yourself the question. Think about it. When somebody believes, then this is probably where it's seen the most, it blows my mind. It, and, and I think the reason why it's become so much more visible, and once again, I'm going to get on my soapbox about social media just for a moment. I won't, I won't be there long. But I think what happens is because of the fact that so often people on social media just pick apart everything. They pick apart. It's like, I don't believe that, so it must be wrong. How do you know? Well, I got the word on it. Okay. Once again, I could tell you that there's a lot of perspectives. I guarantee you, if you go stand on the south rim of the Grand Canyon And then quickly, if you were translated to the north rim of the Grand Canyon, the view is different. And you're looking at the same thing. I remember years ago, I I was praying over a subject. There was a subject that was traveling through our church that seemed to upset a lot of people. And I was having a hard time navigating it because I had people on both sides. And there were, they, on either side of this belief system, they were equally as aggressive. And I'm in the middle. I find myself, I was telling my wife this the other day, I find myself often in the middle. I told her, I've got a great, great idea for a book Life in the Middle. Because I'm always in the middle. Anybody that knows me really well knows that, you know what, for example, like one of the things that happens all the time is we in our church, we have a very rich and full older generation, okay? We also have in our church a younger up-and-coming generation, and I find myself smack dab in the middle. I'm neither young or old. And so, when the, when the folks that are older and mature come to me and they go, Well, this is what we think, I go, Yeah, I agree. I'm, sounds like good doctrine to me. Then I go over here, and the young people come to me and they go, Well, this is what we think. I agree. I think it ought to be both. And I'm in the middle. So, this was the situation, this doctrinal issue. I found myself in the middle. And I remember sitting at home, and I finally decided to take a bath because God speaks to me in the bathroom a lot, more than I think he should. But he does. I'm not sure why, but it's, it's, it's anyway. Um, so I was praying. I was praying about this subject, and I said, God, it can't be both. The bo- because both sides, they're diametrically opposed. They, they don't they, they They don't fit. You can't, it's gotta be one, so God, you pick. What, is, what are you saying? And God never answered the question directly. He never told me which side to pick. This is what he said. He said, John, and now you have to remember, oftentimes we communicate how God speaks to us. We communicate as if we're having a conversation. Okay, oftentimes I do not have a conversation with Jesus. What happens is Jesus downloads a thought and then it grows really quick in me. Now, the only way that I can communicate it to you as if it was a conversation. Okay, so I'm going to communicate it as if it was a conversation. Jesus wasn't sitting on the toilet and I was in the bathtub and we were going back and forth. That wasn't the picture. Okay, He downloaded something in my spirit and it grew. Okay. So John, he says, John, he says, he says imagine yourself as a traveler from another planet. You've never been to Earth. But you find Earth along the way and you land in the Sahara Desert. Your job is to report to the home office, back on wherever you came from, what planet Earth looks like. And you're in the Sahara Desert. So what's Earth look like? Well, it's very dry, very hot, very sandy. Very little life. The life that's there is rugged. There's no water. It's horrible. It's arid. It's dry. It's lots of sand dunes. It's harsh. No, Who would want to come here? He goes, okay. He goes, now let's say you landed in the Amazon rainforest. Tell the home office. He says, I said, it's wet. Lots of vegetation. Life abundant that you can't even imagine. Critters that look like they're from out of space. <laughs> and it's harsh. It's scary. He goes, okay. Now, you somehow you land in downtown New York City, Times Square. <laughs> Describe life. Describe Earth. Lots of buildings, no plants. Crazy people. And he goes, which one's wrong? And I went, they're all right. He goes, is... is is earth so big that no one can see it all at one time? And I said, yes. He goes, so is my truth. So he says, can you be predestinated and still need to make a personal decision? I went, I guess so. He goes, absolutely. They're both right. How's that work? I'll tell you when you get here. I know, see, everybody's kind of, people are like, they're looking at me like, so what happens here is we get offended because somebody just doesn't simply believe like we do, and we do that. And I'm not saying that everybody's right. I'm simply saying that your first course of action ought not to be offense. I'm saying that you ought to honor your brother or sister enough to say, hey, let me consider that. Let me pray about that. Let me look into that. And then, if you discover that actually they are wrong, then go instruct your brother in love, considering your own self, lest you fall. But if you find that they're right, you might just learn something. 1 Peter 2.17 says, Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Let me repeat that. Honor a few people that agree with you and believe just like you. Honor Honor those that look like you. Honor those that think like you. No, honor all people. All of them. We are to honor everyone without regard of their deservededness, if I said that right. That's hard to say. Honor is recognizing the significance of the person's, the value of that person's life. We can even honor a sinner. A while back, this was probably about A year and a half ago now, I was amazed. I was reading in my Bible, and I come in my daily reading, I was reading Jude. And you know Jude is very short, 25 verses or something like that. And uh, it's only one chapter, 25 verses. And in there, there is a very, very interesting passage. It talks about Michael, the archangel. He was wrestling with the devil over the body of Moses. And then it says, yet he would not extend any rallying or any railing accusation against the devil except the Lord rebuke you. And I thought, Michael, he's, he's an archangel, man. This dude has the ability to take this guy out but yet it seems like he's being passive. He's not, he's not even going to give a railing accusation against the devil who deserved it. But he says, the Lord rebuke you. And I asked God, I said, God, why? Why? And God spoke to me very clearly. He says, because if Michael would have delivered a railing accusation, he would have been just like the devil because the devil is the accuser of the brethren i went wow see what we do is we want to we want to extend these railing accusations even if they maybe they deserve it but we need to stop we need the the bible says in matthew 5 i think it's verse 41 you've heard it said love your neighbor and hate your enemy but i say to you love your enemies love them. So what is he saying? He says, I'm going to show you a completely new way to live. But Christians can end up being the most vicious people on the planet because they get fueled by religion. And religion, friend, is a spirit that comes right straight from the pit of hell. And so, what happens is we get this aggressive thing to defend. And then we even find verses that we think tell us to seek out error and correct it, and that stand against it. Well, of course, we're supposed to stand against false doctrine. Of course, we are to stand against lies and deception. But we're to love people. Are you hearing what I'm saying? See, honor not only comes from recognizing the significance and value of a person's life, honor comes from the overflow of a heart that's filled with God. Are you hearing that? And the concept of honor is throughout all of the word of God. And so what I want to do is I want to take just a few minutes if I can. We've probably got about 10 minutes left and we'll be done. And I want to show you what honor means. This word, honor, it's interesting. It's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting word because in the Hebrew, the word is and in, in, the, in the Greek, the word is teme. Okay, And they both mean the same thing, to give value, to give worth, to validate, to prize, to respect. But they have all these different meanings. And so when you go into this, you begin to see something really powerful. There's a verse in Ephesians chapter 5, I believe it's verse 22, it's an instruction to the wife. It says, see that you honor your husband. But when you look up that word honor, because it's the same word, in this context he's using it in marriage, but it's the same word that's used for between one another, this is what it means. Number one, it means to notice. In other words, when we honor, we pay deliberate attention. Have you, ever, have you ever been in a conversation when somebody's not paying attention to you? Do you feel honored? It's like, hey, hey am I bugging you? Um, you know, do I have your attention? Or, You know, it's, uh, uh, the, the, the millennial gener- generation now, because they're, they've got their phones and stuff, Uh, they'll be talking and texting at the same time. And so are you listening to me? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, you're not. You're in two conversations. One that's typed in Word, and one is with your voice. It's really hard for me to be in two conversations at once. So pick one. I'll wait. The other day, Kathy and I, was really kind of nice. It was actually a real compliment. Kathy and I were at Cracker Barrel, and we're sitting there. And we took our phones, and we put them off to the side, and we sat, and we just talked. Imagine that. We talked. I don't even know what we were talking about. Who knows? It was, it was not important. After, we got, after, after a little while, a lady that was sitting just one table over got up. She walked over, and she says, I just got to thank you. So said, why is that? She goes, you're the first couple I ever saw put your phones down and talk to each other. We have to pay deliberate attention. We need to listen so we understand. We need to listen to understand, not to defend. So many times, what's happening is we're listening because we're building our case. You listen so you can understand. I'll say to my wife, I I don't understand what that means. Tell me. I want to know what she's saying. I want to know what she thinks. I want to know what's going on. So if I don't understand, I ask her, what's happening? Because in the past, I have misunderstood. Have you ever been misunderstood? Oh, it's a drag. So the first thing is notice. The second one is it regards. To give attention or attentive concern and consideration, literally, it's to be sensitive to somebody else. It's to regard them. It's like when you get in your car and you are just absolutely uh, uh, in love with the Beach Boys, and that's all you got playing, but you have somebody in your car that hates the Beach Boys, and you know it. You don't go, my car, my rules. Walk. If you're riding my car, you're listening to the Beach Boys. That's not honor. You can do that. It is your car, it is your rules but the Beach Boys ain't the battlefield you want to die on. on. Honor means you prefer. It means to choose someone else over self. To validate another's opinion or style or taste. There's a lot of things that I don't like. I don't like sauerkraut. I'm three-quarters German. Don't like sauerkraut. <laughs> I, I don't like chicken eggs. I like carton eggs. And when all of you all have your chickens birthing eggs, and then you bring them <laughs> to my wife, know that I'm not eating them. I like going to the store and getting them really old, funky eggs that are in a carton. Ah. Uh, I don't like cow's milk. I've been on a farm where they said, here, come here, we got the udder, just we'll give you a squirt. Not me. Yuck. I'm not drinking that. I want mine homogenized in 2%. I don't even mind skim milk. I I don't want it to sit there and become butter because it's jiggling in the fridge. I'm not scraping the cream off the top. I am not... A country boy, but I don't mind you doing that. My wife eats chick. She come home one day with a carton full of brown eggs that somebody gave her. I'm not sure what's up with the brown eggs. I, I, and here I'm gonna, I'm gonna get a little gross. One, no, I'm not. I promise, I won't. I won't. I won't. <laughs> I won't do it. I just got checked on that one. Did you see how God just spoke to me right there and said, "Back up, boy." <laughs> that's that's maturity right there, Derman. But she came home with brown eggs. And I don't even. I, I, they're yours. Eat all of them. All of them. Do you? You're starving. You're dying. No, no. I'm not. This is not starving. I'll go a while without them. So I don't mind that she prefers things that I don't. And she don't mind. I remember long before I started liking sushi, she loved sushi. So we'd go to the sushi bar, and she would get sushi, and I would get chicken. And that's what we did, and I loved that. Well, then one day, I don't know what happened once again in the bathtub. It was probably a miracle. I started having a craving for sushi. I don't know where that came from, and now I can't get enough. The bathtub is a dangerous place for me. Things happen. It really, really does there. So the point is, what my point is, in, uh, with all the humor, is that what we do is we choose someone else over ourself. In other words, we don't exert our will. Then it venerates to look, at the de- to look at with a deep sense of awe, to recognize the gift in them, the potential, who they are. Number whatever. It esteems, it's to place value and to extend dignity. It praises, what is that? To encourage and to lift up. It respects, to treat with consideration, being aware of both their strengths and their weaknesses. It serves, honor serves with passion to go above and beyond and then some. It's bearing one another's burden, preferring one another. It gives thoughtfulness, it gives with thoughtfulness. It means taking the time to give what others want. It speaks words that build up, words of affirmation, words of appreciation, words of acceptance, words of affection, words of assurance, words of apology. I'm telling you, church, we're almost done, but words are powerful. How you speak to one another can change your life forever. Those of you that are parents in this place, how you speak to your children, even those of you that have adult children. I don't care if you're 80 and they're 60. How you speak means something. If you get all frustrated and whatnot and you speak those harsh things, it can change their life. Words mean something. And finally, honor believes the best. It literally, it's about love. It covers a multitude of sin. And once again, the goal here in the covering of the sin is not to just sweep it under the carpet. What it does is it says, look, let me help you with that. I'm coming to you because I love you. My dad used to say it this way. My dad, I should have had John Poole Sr. isms. I should have wrote a book like that. My dad was a very wise man, but it was always very um, <laughs> Graphic. He would say, only somebody that loves you will tell you you have bad breath. Everybody else will just walk away. I remember my dad was always offering me mints. And I was like, what are you saying, man? I brushed my teeth. I'm I'm good. He said, no, no, it's just a mint. If you had bad breath, I would say, you have bad breath, here's a mint. I'm just saying, here's a man. He was very, he was kind of direct like that. My, he was just kind of, my dad was unique. For those of you that knew him, he's unique. So the point is, as we bring this all down, and I know you got more notes there, and I'm, I'm just going to finish so we could get done a little bit early. The point is, today, we need to make an effort to honor. Honor doesn't come just because, honor is a decision. And like I said, I, I, I understand any one of you could probably come up to me and say, well, you dishonored me here, and you're probably right. And I don't always do a good job. But I know what the Lord is speaking to me, and I know what he's speaking to this church. And I'm really making it my commitment to view people differently and to engage with people differently and to walk in that honor walk in that place where I honor. And I will say this as, as we close. I will also say this about the whole politically correct thing and government and all of that. You know, there's a place in the Bible that God tells us to pray for those that have rule over us. Okay, as Christians, we're to pray, not complain. And I know, it, I, it frustrates me too. There's days when I, 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 I get mad. I just... It's like, why are you people doing this? Why, why, why? It don't make sense. Well, there's an agenda. And 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 it's not in Washington, it's in hell. It's the gates of hell. And it has an agenda. And they are not the enemy. The enemy's over here. But if we get mad at them and cease to pray for them or somehow curse them with our words, we literally are working in the hands of the devil. We now become a tool of the enemy. What we need to be as Christians is we need to be a mouthpiece for God, declaring his word. Um, For those of you in church, like I say, um, we need to be a church that just loves people. I'm not saying for a moment that we ever sweep sin under the carpet. I'm praying that we have a revival of conviction as well. I'm praying that Holy Spirit would come. But let me tell you something. There is a very big difference between conviction and condemnation. Very big. The world's apart. Conviction deals with the the problem, deals with the thing. And it comes along and says, because I love you so much, I'll point out that this problem is a problem, so we need to fix that. Because you're worth it. Condemnation just says you're a failure. You're no good. You're this. We've got to resist that. That's easy. I'm going to tell you something. It is easy to find fault in somebody else. Let me see. I'll start right here. Dermot, let me find... I could go around the room right now, and without even knowing you, probably get on a couple of your faults. And you could probably go, wow, you have a gift like that? No. It is not hard. It's not a gift. Comes very natural to the old man. What's really hard is to find the gold in a great big pile of dirt. Remember what uh, Joe White, he says, we're just a big lump. And somewhere, it's kind of like the old story with a kid cleaning out the stall. He said, with all this manure, there's got to be a pony in here somewhere. That's a good attitude. There's gold in every one of you. There's power in every one of you. There's gifting in every one of you. There's calling in every one of you. There's potential in every one of you. And it's when we as a people will honor. And you don't know. See, when when people walk in as visitors, and I encourage you with this, when people walk in and you don't know them, don't assume that you just don't know them as the church. Assume they're new. It would be better that you assume that they're new than just to assume that you've never met them. Go up to them and say, hey, how you doing? And if they go, well, I've been here 16 years, go, wow, I haven't, <laughs> so I'm the new guy to you. So there you go. I, I, I did, one time we took, I'll, I'll, last story and I'll be done. Kathy and I took out, uh, it was Mark and Jenny Fields. I, can, I could tell this story with Mark and Jenny. Mark and Jenny Fields, we took them out, and we're sitting at El Placio, and we're sitting there and we're having this dinner. And I said, So, I said, um, you know, are you relatively new to the church? How long you been here? <laughs> Mark and Jenny, three years. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, praise God. <laughs> yeah, I don't ask that question no more. If I don't know somebody's name, I'm giving my secrets If I don't know your name, I'll come up and go, "How do you spell your name?" And then it's always Al. A L. Oh, I thought maybe it was the more foreign version of A L six seven eight five. You know, I, you know, it's just. It, it, it's like, oh my God, you know, I try. Now what I do is I go, you know what? I don't even remember my name, let alone my wife. I know she belongs to me. At least she looks familiar. I've forgotten your name. Please forgive me. Uh, I just fall on my sword right away. Huh. I know. We, 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 I, I need to go take a bath. I, I just... God, God, God needs to speak. The point is, what I'm trying to stir us to do is to honor one another. Can you say amen to that? Let's bow our heads right now. Father, we just come before you. God, and we give you glory, and we thank you that we can clown around a little bit, but this, is, this really is a serious subject. And Father, I pray that you help us to uh, really engage in this and to honor and to, and to love people. And Father, that you would give us that strength. And Father, we do pray, God, that you would pour out your goodness upon this place And we just magnify you and glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the New Life Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.